0: Be seated good morning once again um, today we are at the very end of our behind the music teaching series this series began way back in the early days of the shutdown with me sitting at my green desk in our study at home <laughs> and uh, trying to figure out how to do what's kind of designed to, for this context in a, a room at home with my dog um, <laughs> Anyway, the, the series started with a song I felt a little sheepish about, one I didn't really like, uh, Jesus Take the Wheel. Well, the series kind of bookends with songs I, <laughs> I kind of feel a little <laughs> embarrassed about. So saying all that, uh, today we're going to listen to 55 seconds of a song by a band called The Champs. This song is called Tequila. <laughs> So every week we've been looking at the lyrics of uh, popular songs, and it's kind of funny, right, that I'd pick a song with one word. Why would I pick a song with the one word, right? Everyone's singing Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure, right? Um, why would I pick a song with one word, and that word being tequila in a church, right? Well, exactly. We don't talk about stuff like tequila in church. Uh, so I wanted to kind of use that silly song to springboard into what I want to discuss today, talking about kind of the Christian walk, how we're, as a follower of Jesus, we have this incredible freedom, but also this incredible call to restraint, to to being compassionate and careful uh, around others, being considerate and having responsibility. So anyway, just kind of frame why you just heard 55 seconds of that song. Life, as you've discovered, I'm sure... Life is full of choices, full of choices. Uh, From a very early age, where should I go to college? Uh, What career should I choose? Uh, Should I get married? Do I want kids? Should I I have a dog or a cat? Should I give myself fake eyebrows? You know, that's a big decision people are having to make these days. Um, Guys, you're maybe lost on that, but seriously, it's a thing. Shave off your real ones and draw fake ones on with a makeup pencil. It's out there. People have decisions to make in life. The sheer volume of decisions that we are called upon to make in life can at times uh, feel overwhelming. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by a decision you had to make? Or maybe the onslaught of many decisions you had to make? Sometimes it's like, whoa, slow down. One at a time, please. The decisions we have to make, we're called upon to make in life can sometimes feel overwhelming. And here's the thing, it's often only made worse when you're a Christian. We have this whole, nother, this whole extra level uh, of, of, of decisions we have to make as we go through life. In addition to figuring out all that regular life stuff, we Christians, we must also discern what to do with a whole host of, 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 of other morally charged things. Morally charged decisions, right? Oh, what am I talking about? What sort of things? Well, what comes to mind for you? Dancing, anyone? Uh, I was raised in a church where you didn't go see movies at a movie theater. You could get them at home on your VHS player, but you didn't want Jesus to come back and find you in the theater, right? Some people felt that way about bowling, too, for what it's worth. I digress. Dancing, anyone? Show of hands, you were raised that that was a morally questionable thing to do. Um, Smoking? uh, Gambling? Any, yeah, And then drinking, of course, <laughs> the prohibition or the like, whoa, we don't do that around here, in the church has been pretty prominent. Church history, uh, specifically in America, because that's what I'm most familiar with, uh, has been punctuated with attempts. With attempts to institutionalize forms of morality and behavior control within the church. We've attempted to set hard and fast boundaries around adherence in an effort to to generally control behavior, but specifically to eradicate vice. To eradicate these vices, these morally questionable behaviors among the faithful and oftentimes uh, those outside the fellowship. We like to dictate to the world around us, too, how they ought to and ought not live. The problem, however, is that telling people to abstain from certain activities just because I said so, uh, it doesn't work very well. And I'll give you three pieces of evidence to prove that it doesn't work very well. Exhibit A, teenagers. (laughs) Tell them what they shouldn't do, and guess what they'll go do? That which you told them not to do. Uh, Exhibit B, the prohibition. Remember that? Hey everybody don't drink alcohol and then the shepherd of the hills happens right I mean like the still in the woods I mean it's like uh, we start making it and bootlegging it all the time because we told them not to do it right Uh, exhibit B would be everyone else everybody else all of us are a pretty good living example of being told what not to do and then going about doing it anyway it's just in us right what is that I think it's because as humans we are rebellious creatures from the very outset, we've proven ourselves to have a rebellious streak in us. We don't like to be told what to do and what not to do. We are rebellious creatures. We are always questioning, and we are always breaking the rules. You don't get very far into the Bible before you run into that trait. I think, what, third chapter of the, of the whole Bible? The whole rest of it is like, told you. A lot of the angst. And a lot of the tension we've experienced in our lives uh, stems from this clash that happens inside of us, this clash between the demands of moralistic cooperation and our rebellious nature. This clash inside of us of knowing what we ought to do or being told what we ought to do, and this, this, this attitude, this, at, this a- attitude in us is just like, no, no, who are you? I'll do it my way. So we've ended up in trouble, we felt angst, we felt tension, and we've also felt consequences. Has anyone heard the saying, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or date girls who do? That pretty much summarized my moral upbringing in one statement. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or date girls who do. And guess what? I went and did almost every single one of those things. (laughs) Except I never dated a girl who chews. I don't think you have to be a Christian to think that's kind of questionable, right? yeah that's gross Christian or not Um, but so we don't do very well with being told what to do with the best of intentions we've been told we've been sent on this moral path and we just can't help ourselves but to stray and to do that which we were told not to do Now, now don't get me wrong don't get me wrong instilling moral guidance in our Christian discipleship is helpful it's necessary for new believers. There is a morality that comes with following after Jesus. It's not just willy-nilly. It's all just grace, man. I'll just do whatever I want. No, there is a call to righteousness, a pursuit of holiness, right? So instilling moral guidance in our Christian discipleship is necessary for new believers, those who are both chronologically young but also spiritually young. In fact, moral living is a key part of learning the grammar of the Christian faith, learning the rules of what it means to follow after Jesus. This is how the life of a Christ follower ought to be marked. These behaviors, these things we do and don't do. It's part of the grammar of the faith. It's part of discovering the freedom that comes through the pursuit of righteousness. Um, and also, I would say this too, we need that moralism, uh, that, the, the, the morality of, of the Christian faith uh, instilled in new believers, because that's one of the first ways we start to break those old sin habits, those old habits that have been leading to death. It's when the Holy Spirit starts to work, starts leading us in new directions, start developing, starts developing new disciplines in our life that help us be free from those old sin habits. So... Let me be clear. Morality and God honoring behavior, it matters. Don't leave here saying, hey, our pastor said it didn't matter what we did. We could drink, smoke, and chew and date girls who do. That's not what I meant. Morality and God honoring behavior, they matter. But here's the thing Christians must eventually move beyond rule keeping. As you grow in your walk with the Lord, we must, as Christians, eventually move beyond just basic rule-keeping, beyond keeping these external codes of behavior, and move toward having a heart of obedience, ultimately moving toward having a, 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 a deep personal desire to honor God. Really, that should be the seat of our moral living, our pursuit of righteousness, a deep personal desire to honor God we have to be careful in how we communicate moral expectations to our children and to fellow believers as they grow and as they mature in the faith. Why? Because if we never encourage them to move beyond moralism, move beyond a behavior-based faith, we can really end up doing one of two things or both. We can end up stunting their spiritual growth and disfiguring their understanding of God. These are two results that can easily happen if you push morality and moralism to the front and never encourage them to move into that great freedom we have in Christ. They can be stunted in their spiritual growth, be stuck in that grammar phase forever. Ever seen that in the church, right? Rule following, is all, it's all about rules, right? So people can become stunted in their faith and then they can also have this disfigured, deformed understanding of who God is and what he desires. People started envisioning this very angry, very angry type A God that wants us to just comply, cooperate and graduate into heaven, right? And this can result, when when people's spiritual growth is stunted and they have a disfigured understanding of God, the result is a church full of people who equate rule keeping with spiritual growth. A church full of people who equate rule-keeping with spiritual growth and abstention from certain behaviors as a mark of holiness. Because I don't do these things, I'm holy. I'm a mature Christian because I do these things and I don't do those things. That becomes the metric by which we, be, we are or are not a saint. Right? But here's the thing. Ironically, and very sadly, the best rule-keepers are often the most joyless, rigid, and fearful Christians of all. Let me say that again. Those Christians you know that are the best rule keepers are often the most unhappy. They're the most rigid and joyless Christians you know. And I can state this with confidence. Joylessness, rigidity, and fear are not the things that Jesus came to give us. He made this pretty clear. He did not come to give us the spirit of joylessness, of rigidity, and of fear. In fact, these are the very things that Jesus came to free us from. Would you believe it that Jesus wants to set us free from joylessness, from rigidity, rigid religious living, and fear? Let's listen to Jesus' own words here. Let's listen to Jesus' words about His desire for us. This, my friends, is what Jesus desires for us. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, let's look there first. Verses 31 through 36. Jesus said to the people who believed in Him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? The truth will set you free. Free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who, who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, guess what? You are free indeed. You are free indeed. Uh, turn over to uh, John chapter 10 real quick. John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill. (laughs) Steal and (laughs) kill. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Your translation might say, give them life abundantly or abundant life or life to the full whatever the translation it sounds good right he wants to give us a rich and satisfying life jesus comes and says this with his own mouth guys i didn't come to lead you deeper into a rule-bound religion i came to set you free that you would be sheep let out into good pasture that's jesus's ambition and that's followed up very strongly by paul the apostle paul uh, the former professional religious rule keeper right Listen to what he has to say. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verses 1 through 4. Remember hear who, remember whose voice you're hearing this from, okay? So Christ has truly set you free, just like he set me free, Paul would say. So Christ has truly set you free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, by keeping the rules, you must obey every regulation and the whole law of Moses. So if you want a little bit of it, you've got to do the whole thing. If that's where you're going to place your faith. Verse 4, For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law... You have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Yikes. This was Paul's transformed understanding of what grace is about, what life in Christ is about. It's no longer about religious rule-keeping. It's about freedom. We've been set free. So Christ has truly set us free. Clearly in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, we find God God is is not automatically honored by rote cooperation with moral rules. Have you come across this in Scripture? Just because you're doing the right thing doesn't mean God's honored. This becomes pretty clear as you read through the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. God is not pleased with just rote rule-keeping. Because why? God is looking at our hearts. Without a corresponding attitude of obedience in His people, our religious rule-keeping Uh, it can actually be quite offensive to God. You heard me right. It's not that God just disregards what we're doing. It's actually pungent and, and gross to Him. It's offensive to God when we're doing religious activity, keeping all the rules, without our heart being in it, a heart of obedience, a heart that desires to honor Him. God finds moralism without a desire to know and honor Him repugnant. Have you realized this before? That sometimes the worst thing we can do in our life with Christ is to offer things to God that we don't mean. Stuff that's just rote it's just routine. But our hearts aren't in it. I want to survey scripture real quick. Look at 1 Samuel, chapter 15. 1 Samuel, chapter 15. This is after Saul has destroyed the Amalekites. And uh, Samuel is coming to give him a message from the Lord. Let's start in verse 10. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my commands. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, hey, Saul, uh, someone told him, hey, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. Then when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. Hey, may the Lord bless you, he said. I've carried out the Lord's command. And Samuel demanded, Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle, I hear? "Oh, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted, but they were going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. And then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. Stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. Oh, what did the Lord tell you? Saul asked. And Saul told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. And then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plundered to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in Gilgal. Man, it sounds like me. I mean, it's convicting when I read Saul's words because I mean I'm a I'm a schemer like that. It's like oh, I was doing it for God's sake. I didn't obey because I wanted to do God a solid, you know. Oh, but Samuel replied, "What is more pleasing to the Lord?" Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. To obey is better than sacrifice. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. What makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of, bull, of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days of fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon f- celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When, I li- when you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen, for your hands are covered with blood of innocent victims." Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up on your evil ways, Learn to do good. Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, and fight for the rights of widows. All right, one last place, uh, Matthew chapter 15. Now this is cross-referenced in Isaiah 29:13, but let's look at Matthew 15:7 through9. Here Jesus says, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as if they are commands from God." So, that's just a brief survey of Scripture, but as we do so, it becomes abundantly clear. God desires us to grow up in our faith. God desires us to cultivate a heart of wisdom and of true obedience. Has anyone ever, else ever felt convicted by passages like that? Man, I feel like there's a hollowness to my worship sometimes and to my, my obedience. It's not really coming from my heart, it's just coming from my body. I'm just doing what I know I should do or I'm not doing what I know should, I shouldn't do. But it's really not pleasing God because I've really got a rebellious attitude still. I'm not doing it because I desire to honor God. And to that, God would just say, stop. It's better for you to do nothing than to offer stuff you don't even mean. Stuff offered in disobedience. God desires to grow us up in our faith, to cultivate a heart of wisdom and true obedience. This wisdom and obedience, it creates the necessary context then for the great freedom we are offered in Christ Jesus. For he is the one who sets us free, and he is the one who has fulfilled the law. Hear me. Jesus is the one who has kept all the rules on our behalf. This is how Jesus' life is so meaningful to us. He came and he did that which we could not do. He fulfilled the law, the law which we could not fulfill. He came and fulfilled the law. He came and he kept the rules on our behalf. This is why our faith and trust in him is so important. We, we, we cling to Him, we claim Him, the finished work of Christ, because He did what we could not do in so, so many ways. So speaking of freedom, would you believe this, and now after all that I've said, would you believe this, that Christians are in actuality the most free of all humans on the planet? That as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are more free than anyone else on the entire planet. That sounds scandalous, right? But it's true. It's true. Scandalously, in Christ, we are free to do almost anything we want in this life. We're free to do it, right? God leaves it up to us to discern whether or not it's something we ought or ought not to do. He says, hey, in the light of the truth revealed in Scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, discern what you ought to do in this situation. Use this, this divine discernment that you've been given. A primary work of the Holy Spirit in, our, in the life of a, of a believer is to help us grow in wisdom and in discernment. And we do that through becoming students of the Word, of Scripture, of being uh, disciplined in prayer, but also in seeking wise counsel of others, of these fellow travelers that are maturing in their faith also, that are maybe a little further down the road than you, that you can say, hey, have you been through this before? And hearing that wise biblical counsel from them as well, from their experiences in their walk with the Lord. God's Holy Spirit indwells us and helps us to know the difference between right and wrong. The difference between good and evil, between life and death. Now, we are the most free of all all the people on earth, but there are things, we can't get around this, there are things that God has explicitly identified as immoral and evil. There's stuff that are just, there's things that are just non-starters, don't even go there, right? There are certain things which an upright, God-fearing person should never do. Exhibit A, the Ten Commandments, right? Maybe review those. That's a good place to start. Uh, There are some behaviors and some boundaries that shouldn't be crossed. Why? Because it harms others, or it harms ourselves. It harms creation, it brings harm, it deals death, those things we ought not do. There are some things that, if we choose to live comfortably with them, or to do them, uh, we compromise our Christian witness in the world. There are some things that are, that are bad. They are broken. They're bent. They're, they're things we ought not be a part of. That's clear. Uh, Examples of this include things like drunkenness or gluttony, pride, laziness, bitterness, lying, jealousy, hard-heartedness, a lack of forgiveness, violence, racism, etc. The list goes on. Uh, I would draw your attention to, we're not going to go there this morning, but look at places like Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 20 or 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 6 through 13. Paul is talking to Christians saying, hey, get rid of these types of behavior in your life. Do not tolerate these things in your fellowship. These are not things that Christ followers participate in. These are not attributes of a Christ follower. Get rid of them. So know this, our walk with Jesus is leading us somewhere. It's not just changing our condition until we die and go to heaven, right? It's actually inviting us into a pilgrimage path that's leading us somewhere. It's leading us further up and further in to Christ's kingdom. Christ's ambition is to see us grow, to see us grow and to become, to grow in wisdom, to grow in maturity, to see us enjoying more and more life and more and more freedom, more and more joy, this is Jesus' ambition. Our Christian growth path should lead us somewhere. It shouldn't be this static, stagnant thing. It actually should be leading us, challenging us, growing us as the days go by. Our pilgrimage is leading us beyond decisions based on rules and leading us toward an increasing ability to make decisions based on this relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ our decisions are made more and more uh, on that relationship and less and less on just the rules what kind of relationship well first and foremost uh, our relationship with God as I mentioned this is the first uh, consideration in this exercising of freedom that we have when it's lived out in the context of relationship the first question is our relationship with God how does this play into my relationship with God the second is our relationships with others. And then that third part is our relationship with ourself, with our own soul, right? So those are three stops along the way of hey, do I, how do I live in freedom in the context of relationships? As we grow in Christ-likeness, we grow in our ability to ask good questions and to make good decisions about our interactions. So we will learn then to ask good questions. And I hope this is helpful because I've struggled with this. Like, how do I live wisely in freedom and not fall into sin? Well, maybe these are some good questions we can ask. Maybe a good filter we can put over our lens and say, okay, this helps me understand the way I ought to go in this great freedom that I have. The first question I would suggest is um, uh, let's see, does this decision honor God? What I know of scripture, what I've discovered in my walk with Jesus, what I've heard from my mentors uh, in my life, does this decision honor God? The second question is, does this bless others? Does this bless others? Uh, Does it foster growth? Uh, Does it build up the church's strength and my witness? Um, And then that third question is, um, does it honor who I am in Christ? Is it good for my soul? Asking questions like, uh, is this uh, idolatry? Is this uh, sin? Is this decision I'm making uh, playing into my rebellious attitude? Is it leading me toward something that's becoming an idol in my life? Uh, it's this agile, dynamic, lived out kind of wisdom and obedience that Jesus desires for us. And it's this kind of uh, wisdom and obedience that honors God. God. It's this Christian kind of freedom that truly blesses the world. And it demonstrates uh, God's love to the world and the gospel through us. Uh, This is the understanding. This is the scripture I really want to end up with today. This understanding prepares us then to encounter and implement uh, the Apostle Paul's thinking that we find in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. If you want to turn over there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 12 and 13. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that your bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about your bodies. Now look also at uh, chapter 10. Uh, chapter 10, verses uh, 23 and 24. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Do not be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. You see how Paul's leading us into those three questions. Is this, uh, does this bless God, does this honor God, does this bless others, and does this, uh, is this healthy for my soul? Okay, um, So this understanding from Paul, it helps us better uh, implement this kind of wisdom. Yes, everything is permissible for us, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is good for us. Yeah, we can do it, but it's not good for you. So, going forth in this great Christian freedom, we must increasingly be ready to make wise decisions about a lot of different things in life. From tequila to tattoos, from credit cards to country clubs, to politics to poker, from Netflix to nursing homes, from Walmart to Wheel of Fortune. Man, I worked on that list a long time. (laughs) But I hope it illustrates. We've got this broad range of of encounters we'll have in life that we need to make, um, in which we need to make decisions. So perhaps it's helpful to think of a triangle of sorts. I've got an image to put up on the screen here. Uh, a triangle of sorts with God, with others. And I drew this by hand, as you can maybe, maybe tell. I'm an artist. Um, it, with God, with others, and with me on the three corners. And they're all connected by la- a line. This is what I call the triad of relationships. Okay? This is kind of the, the framework of, dis- of understanding we need to carry forth with us. A triad of relationships can help us balance our freedom and our discipline, our liberty and our wisdom, our rights and our responsibilities in the context of these important relationships in my life. My life, my relationship with God, my relationship with others, and my relationship with myself. We ask better questions when we first stop to consider Does this decision glorify God? Does this decision bless others? And is this decision healthy for me? Or it's popular in our culture to say, you know, be true to yourself. Well, yes, truth matters, but let's start in the right place. Is this true to God? Is this true with others? And then is it true with me? Okay, we want to ask the questions in the right order, starting with God. Further, we can ask these questions in reverse. Conversely, we can ask these questions. questions like this. Does this decision, does it violate God's moral will? That which God has told me I ought not do, does it violate that? Secondly, does what I'm about to do or what I'm considering doing, does it cause another believer to stumble or be offended? And then third, does what I'm about to do, does it violate or harm my conscience? Does it violate or harm who I am in Christ? Or, more specifically, is what I'm about to do becoming an idol in my life? Am I starting to worship this somehow, letting this thing identify who I am over and above who I am in Jesus? guys we struggle with idolatry and I think once we start to look at it that way we start to find that things very easily become idols in our lives and so it's good to ask that questions is this that question is this thing becoming an idol now if we answer no to any of those first questions uh, does this glorify God does this bless others does this uh, does this uh, is it healthy for me or if we answer yes to any of those second ones does it violate God's will does it cause another to stumble or does it harm my conscience Uh, we need to step back. We need to wisely refrain from that behavior, from that choice. We need to not do it. Now, Paul provides some helpful caveats in our decision-making here. Yes, you are free to do whatever you want, but be careful. Be careful not to become enslaved again, not to be mastered by your appetites, because we have this tendency to be mastered by our appetites. As we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Also, Paul says, if you, are, if you knowingly do something that causes a younger or weaker believer to, believer to stumble in their faith, it's wrong. Who cares if you're free to do it? If you're knowingly causing someone else to stumble, it's sin to you. Do not do it. And then we read about that in 1 Corinthians 10, 24. So these caveats are something we need to be very familiar with and aware of. Uh, they, really, they can cause a discomfort in us as well. They can cause us to chafe a little bit because in them, in those moments, we confront our own rebellious self-will. And uh, it also can expose those idols we talked about. When we really run up against a decision and you're like, "Oh, I'm free to do this, I want to do it, I don't care. That can be one of those areas where the Holy Spirit is trying to expose, reveal to you where your stubborn self-will is rising up and maybe where there's some idolatry in your life. So pay attention to those things. But these caveats also provide opportunities for us to confess those things and to grow through those things. The Christian life is necessarily lived out in community with others. Okay, The call to follow Christ is the call into community. We've said this before. In fact, think of it this way. Almost all of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about, they only make sense in community. Hear me when I say this. Almost every one of the spiritual gifts listed make no sense if you're on your own. They only only make sense in community. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these virtues require something. Other people. They can only be practiced and developed and strengthened in context of relationship with other people in community. Life becomes this gracious dance then between freedom and responsibility, between liberty and restraint, of choosing to not do things for the sake of others. Things you could do, things you're free to do, but things you decide to not do. So let's commit to moving beyond rule-keeping toward, a wise, toward wise living today with our God in this great freedom we have together in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, the guidance we find in your word that we're not left to just fumble our way through this. Um, and thank you, too, that it's not just about keeping the law, keeping the rules well enough, because I think we're all pretty bad at that. Speaking for myself, you know me pretty well. Uh, I'm not very good at keeping rules. One, I lack discipline sometimes. I lose focus. But then also, I'm very rebellious. I'm very rebellious, and I cling to to small idols in my life. God, this is the ongoing work of your Holy Spirit in me, and I think it's the work you're doing in all of us, calling us toward more and more Christ-likeness on this pilgrimage path, that we would become more aware of this freedom, yes, but also the call to righteousness, Lord, I pray that you would work the truth of your word deeply into our hearts, that we would sit with this, pray through it, listen to your Holy Spirit, seek counsel, seek confession. God, this is where you're at work in us, and I know that a lot of us have struggled with trying to balance this tension that we're called into this freedom and this responsibility. So God, I pray that you would give up on our selfish ambition, our right uh, to do whatever we want, and that we'd offer that up to you as a sacrifice. And that it would come from a heart of obedience and a desire to honor you and that it would be pleasing to you. God, make our lives living sacrifices to you. Lord, I pray that you'd work this uh, message deeply into our hearts and uh, that we'd hear clearly the, the wisdom of Scripture but also uh, the, the words of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, let's uh, finish up with a couple quick announcements. Um, I would like to uh, follow on. I started reading a book... Uh, last night that goes well with what we talked about today. It's a book by N.T. Wright called After You Believe. Uh, it's called uh, Why Christian Character Ma- uh, Matters. It really talks about that, that point in the Christian life between when you come to faith in Jesus and when uh, either Christ returns or you uh, end up in heaven. <laughs> like that broad, meaningful section of life right between the two. Yeah, Christian Character Matters. So it's called After You Believe. It's been really good so far. So it's a good uh, recommended reading if, if uh, you're looking for something. Also, uh, uh, if you'd like to uh, give today, there's an iPad back there. There's some offering baskets up here. We're not going to pass those around just to minimize the spread of germs. But uh, we view the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship, and we want to be sure to provide opportunity for you to do so. So uh, this week, you'll be getting another... uh, Care Group's weekly roundup. That's a good way to stay up to speed on announcements and stay in touch with each other. I want to thank all of our care group leaders that have been diligent in reaching out and staying in touch with people during the shutdown. It's been tough to not see everybody, but I'm thankful that we had the technology and the means to just check in and say hi and uh, help bear each other's burdens. Uh, As we go forward and we're able to meet again, we're gonna try to maintain that structure so that we can care well for each other and stay in communication. And hopefully, as we start gathering together again, you know a few more names. I mean, that you can come in and feel a little more comfortable comfortable because you know people. That would be a great takeaway as well. So, uh, let's see that's it for me if you want to stand we'll pray as the Lord taught us our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power in the glory forever. Amen. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with with you. Thanks. Good to see everyone again. Have a good week.